Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is George Cooper. I'm a medical writer, podcast host and producer. And throughout this podcast, we'll be asking the question, are myosin inhibitors the future of HCM management? Before we get started, we should first mention that this medical education podcast has been supported by Bristol Myers Squibb. Now, we've got a fascinating topic for you today. Throughout this episode, we will be discussing the current unmet need in HCM management, whether or not myosin inhibitors really are a game changer in the HCM treatment space, and we'll look at some of the evidence available in the Explorer and Valor studies. Joining me for today's podcast is Professor Jacopo Olivoto, who is a professor of cardiology at the Mayer Children's Hospital at the University of Florence. Over the last two decades, his main clinical and research interests have included various aspects of cardiomyopathies with a special focus on HCM. So we are in very safe hands today. Professor Olivoto, it is wonderful to speak to you about the subject. How are you today? Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. So I think we should first kick off this conversation talking about the current medical unmet needs within the HCM space. Yes, I believe there is a major unmet need in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy for the simple reason that there had never been a single drug, a single molecule developed specifically for the disease. The ones we currently used were developed many years ago for other indications and when then, when then borrowed for the treatment of complications of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but none of them was designed to address the specific molecular abnormalities of the disease. So there's definitely need for, for novel and more precise, more sort of specifically devised interventions. So these medicines that are currently used to treat HCM that were developed for other conditions and are now being recycled, as it were, what are the kind of side effects that patients can expect to experience with these medications? So the, the main problem is that side effects, of course, are those that may be expected with many of these drugs, including low blood pressure, so fatigue, patients feeling fatigued, and particularly during exercise. And sometimes you can have, if, you're, if you have asthma, your asthma gets worse. If you have bradycardia, if your heart rate is slow, it can get too slow, and a number of other, of other issues. But the, mo the most uh, sort of stringent problem is not the side effects of the drug. It is rather the fact that the drugs don't always do their job. They don't seem to ease the burden of disease and the daily sort of symptoms of patients as much as we would like. They may be effective in some instances, but for most of the patients, at least some of, this, some of these symptoms will remain. And in severe cases, there is no way these drugs can block the progression of disease to heart failure. So there's no interference with the natural history of disease in terms of long-term progression, which is really what worries us the most. So let's come on to the, the subject of myosin inhibitors, which is the subject of this podcast. I mean, fairly self-explanatory. I think the clue is uh, somewhat in the name, but, but how do these myosin inhibitors work? What, what's their mechanism of action? So first of all, it's important to remember that hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a disease like no other, because most cardiac diseases are caused by weakening of the heart muscle. So reduced contraction. In hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, it's quite the opposite. So as for all we know, at least in some of the uh, well, best-known models of the disease, there are genetic mutations which actually seem to increase contractility. So the heart becomes hypercontractile. Uh, it expends too much energy, and this leads to a number of 
complications in the long term as well as causing the symptoms. It's like if you have, instead of having a diesel engine like heart is supposed to be, it's like you, if you are buying a Ferrari that you can't afford. So this is really what the problem is. So what you really want to do is to reduce this excessive contraction and to return to normal or semi-normal levels uh, in order to uh, improve the symptoms and, and avoid uh, progression of disease and, and long-term complications. So this is exactly what myosin inhibitors do. They bind to the uh, machinery of the heart. They bind to the um, sarcomere protein, to beta myosin in particular, and reduce its capacity to contract, therefore returning the sarcomere contraction to, let's say, normal levels. And this is exactly what they do. And by doing that, they normalize a number of downstream consequences of, of the genetic mutations causing the disease. I mean, it's very exciting to have this first-in-class drug finally available for these patients. What would you say, and you touched upon a, a few there, obviously the fact that this has been a drug that's been specifically uh, designed for this condition, but what what, ben what other benefits do myosin inhibitors have over the drugs that we previously had for HCM? We, first of all, we have to say that we still don't know that to the full extent because the the real benefits of the drug will probably be known only when patients have been on the drugs for years. In the, and we know this from animal studies. So in animal studies where the lifespan is much shorter and therefore you can, you can have shorter observation time and look at progression of disease, the drugs were capable, Mavacampin in particular, which is the first in class, was capable of reducing or even preventing um, the development of the disease. In humans, this would take a long time to show and to, we need longer studies to find out. But in the meantime, what we do know in the classical trials that have lasted like sort of usually six months is that in patients who have dynamic obstruction to the left ventricular outflow tract, which is a typical complication of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So an important proportion of patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy have impedance to flow, have reduced, op the, the opening of the heart is reduced in systole. You have so a, a gradient impeding flow into the aorta. By reducing contractility, there is definitely improvement of the obstruction and improvement of the symptoms related to obstruction, which, as maybe we'll discuss later, is obtained by Mavacampton and Afficampton, which is the other myosin inhibitor, to a degree that is largely comparable to a surgical intervention. So very effective in reducing symptoms associated with obstructive disease. Wow. So obviously we need some more real life clinical evidence of um, long-term prescriptions, but I mean, it sounds incredibly exciting to have this drug available within this HCM space. Would you, would you say so? I agree. Uh, and we ha I have followed personally the whole the development of disease from the, of the, of the drug from the, from the early stages. And then in our small community of HCM experts, this has been seen as the, from the beginning as a game changer, both because of the very elegant and very scientific base sort of rationale for the drug, but also because of the results we have witnessed in our patients. Because of course, science is nice, but we want to see a result. We want to see practical results and we want to hear our patients say that they are indeed better. Yeah, of course, of course. And you um, touched upon the studies. I mean, most of the, most of the data for the other drugs that have become available for, for HCM have, have kind of come from observational retrospective studies and not prospective randomized control trials. So which which trials do look into CAMSIAS and HCM? First of all, it's, this is a very important point that you mentioned. In fact, when the drug became available, we sort of realized as a community that we weren't entirely ready 
for uh, studying trials in this disease. Because the disease is so particular and so different from other cardiac diseases, we were in a funny situation where we had a fantastic drug we wanted to try, but the way to design the trial and endpoints that we wanted to address were not established. There were there was so such little experience beforehand. As you mentioned, uh, virtually most most of the study, except with very few exceptions, were performed retrospectively or in an observational manner. So the correct prospective double blind randomized sort of approach was almost unheard of. So. This is why the drug was originally tested in patients with obstructive disease because obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is known to cause reproducible symptoms. And we know that reducing the gradients or reducing the obstruction very reliably, very consistently reduces symptoms as well. So it's very measurable if you want. This is why the, the registration study, phase, phase three study, which led to registration of the drug, which is called Explorer HCM, was indeed very successful because it did, in a randomized, double-blind manner, show that patients with obstructive disease, as compared to on Mavacamton, as compared to those treated on placebo, were able to improve their symptoms, improve their functional status in terms of exercise capacity, improve their quality of life, and showed a very marked reduction in the gradients, so which was, again, because of symptoms in these patients. But on the other hand, also it also showed that the drug is safe, at least in, in that span of six months, which the study lasted, with, without worrying sort of signals, because this is a sort of a negative inotrope drug, so it's a drug that reduces contractility at first in class, and of course, caution is really essential when adopting such sort of measure in a heart. We, cardiologists always tend to increase contractility if they can, and this is the first time we deliberately go for a reduction in contractility. So the fact that explorers showed the drug to be safe is equally important. And the same evidence came from a phase two study called Pioneer HCM, and very similar data uh, have come from the studies, the phase two study involving uh, Efficampton, which is again the second in class mycin inhibitor currently under phase three experimentation in obstructive HCM. I mean, this study, this um, focus on the Explorer first, which you were the, the lead researcher for, I mean, it's been described as a game changer, as, as we kind of touched upon earlier. How many participants took part in this, in this study? We enrolled 251 patients from several countries in, in Europe and the and US. So several centers participated in the study. So they were randomized one-to-one to placebo and Mavacampton. And again, the primary endpoint of the study was a combination of New York Heart Association functional class improvement and uh, peak VO2 consumption improvement, so an improvement in cardiopulmonary testing capacity. The study was successful in that 37% of patients uh, achieved the primary endpoint as opposed to 18% in the placebo group. But this is, I think, underestimates the real efficacy of the drug, which was much more evident when looking at other parameters in the secondary endpoints, such as a reduction in the gradient, which on average went down 50 millimeters of mercury. Uh, I'm talking about exercise gradients here. So massive reduction in gradient with a reduction in ejection fraction, which was only 4%, and a very, very important and sustained improvement in quality of life measured with the Kansas City um, questionnaire, uh, measuring up to nine-point reduction on average. So overall, uh, these signals were all very consistent. Patients treated on with Mavacampton with symptomatic obstructive uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy all had, or the vast majority had some degree of benefit. 
uh, only a, a handful of patients developed transient systolic dysfunction and therefore had to be withdrawn temporarily from the study, but then were able to resume the drug at a lower dose. And we're all then carried on uh, the long-term extension study, which is still ongoing for safety purposes. And also because patients were very keen to continue on the drug, I have to say. Even the patients who were on placebo are now on the active drug. And it's, it's quite gratifying to see the results, even in sort of longer term. We have now patients treated for up to three years. I mean, you've dedicated the last 20 years of your career to research and um, to, to HCM. How, how, what was the feeling among your fellow researchers when you, when you started to see these uh, results coming in? There must have been a, a great deal of excitement um, <laughs> throughout, those, uh, throughout that period. Oh, you meant, yes. It, it's, it's, I think it's unforgettable. Um, to be honest with you, you know, for, for most of my career, I never thought we would come to this point because uh, when I started uh, just having, uh, you know, genetics seemed impossible to do and it was like going to the moon and, and the surgery came over. And But to think of, of a sort of molecular target, a precision medicine sort of that would become available and at the trial, you would actually see the results and you would talk to patients and, and, and touch with your hands the improvement uh, in, in, a, in a situation that is just unthinkable. So uh, during the study, I was actually blinded because as a principal investigator, but it was really hard to uh, to describe the face of the fellows that came out of the room <laughs> when they saw the patient that had come previously with a gradient of 120 a few weeks ago and re-examine the patient and find zero gradient and, and the patient would tell you incredible stories of being able to to play with the kids and to bike and to do things they'd never been able to do in the last 20 years. So uh, it's, it's really quite, quite unique, quite unique. Yes, yeah, as you say, it's all very well and good having the, the results, but like, when you see the difference that it has on your patients' lives, that's when it really comes uh, comes home, I'd imagine. I just want to touch a little bit on the Valor study now. One of the key findings was it was suggested that myosin inhibitors can prevent the need for septal reduction therapy or SRT. Do, do you feel like that claim is, uh, is backed up by the evidence provided? Yes, I, I agree. Um, the Valor is another game changer. So just when we were um, sort of celebrating uh, over Explorer, um, here we come with another major game changer. This was a US only study, so I was not part of that. Uh, but it's still awesome that uh, these are patients that are a little different from Explorer because these are patients who were all candidates for surgery or even listed for surgery. So symptoms were more severe than the, on average, than Explorer patients. Uh, and there were literally patients who were going to be operated on. They accepted to be randomized to placebo versus uh, Mavacamptin. And, uh, and again, uh, in, the, in, the, in, a, in a few weeks' time, uh, the, the, the final endpoint of the study was actually assessing whether patients would still be eligible at the end of the study as opposed to those in placebo. Uh, and, and in fact, over 80% of patients who were on Mavacamptin at the end of this short-term study were not eligible or would not even consider being uh, operated on because they're, um, they had benefited so much from the, from the drug. And of course, in the placebo arm, this, was, this did not occur. Only a fraction of the patients turned out to be, uh, for some reason, non-eligible. This is also because the disease is fluctuating. So you would expect some of the placebo patients to um, to improve just because of the natural history of the disease. But the, the difference between the placebo and the treatment arm is really 
staggering. So although surgery has uh, it still remains still very important, uh, well-performed surgery can change the life of these patients. We will, I don't think we'll ever stop operating these patients when the, the indication comes, but it's uh, undeniable that if you can uh, obtain such results with a drug, which of course has many less risks, and, and if this will be provide to be sustainable uh, economically and provide to be uh, sustained uh, and consistent over time, the effect will be durable. Um, it's undeniable that a important proportion of patients with obstructive disease will uh, avoid going for an intervention which which is invasive and requires specific skills and is not universally available in many in many areas. Obviously, if, if surgical interventions can be avoided, then that's obviously the, the the route that you'd rather take. I mean, do you, I mean the, the results uh, for Valor seem uh, you know equally as impressive? Would you say that it was it could be held um, as a game changer, as the same way that the Explorer study was? Yes, uh, definitely, because the, the 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 question that was asked there was a very specific one and was one that is very dear to patients. So, you know, can, are there alternatives to surgery? Don't forget that we have patients that may be fragile, may have uh, contraindications to surgery. And again, that not, not every hospital or every even sometimes not every country has surgeons that are skilled in this operation. So this is really, and the other, the other thing that why, why Valor is important is that it, uh, at the difference with Explorer, the titration of the, of the drug of Mavacamptin was not achieved by dosing uh, the plasma levels as in Explorer, but was achieved by simply clinically dosing it and, and assessing patients with echo, uh, controlling for their ejection fraction, just making sure their ejection fraction didn't fall too much. Uh, and therefore, this allowed uh, the drug to be registered with a clinical titration instead of having patients come in for bloods on a regular basis, which would have been very impractical. So it's a second reason why Valor is so important. Kamzaris has got a forthcoming EMA approval uh, that's in the pipeline. Who, who will this approval affect? Um, is Kamzaris suitable for all, all patients with, with HCM or all patients eligible for it? Unfortunately not, for the reason that the evidence that we have is limited to patients with symptomatic obstructive disease. So the indication has to be limited to the patients that, to the kind of patient that were enrolled in Explorer and in Valor. So that is the field where we will start using the drug in the real world. Of course, this doesn't mean that this, uh, this is the only potential for Mavacamptin or Aficamptin. The, the drugs, the amazing inhibitors were developed not to, to counter obstruction alone, but to, to, to actually improve the myocardium and to, to improve the, the, the cardiomyopathy and the natural history of these patients. So what we are trying to, to show in, in further studies is that the drug is equally effective in patients who are have non-obstructive disease. So pure, let's say if you want diastolic dysfunction. And, and two uh, large trials, one is already underway called Odyssey HCM with Kamzaios and uh, another one soon to be started with Afikampton. So if these two studies are successful, the indications for the drug will expand to virtually the whole spectrum of symptomatic disease. I see. And when can we expect to see some results come through from these studies that are currently ongoing? Or is it hard to say at this point? Oh, this will take at least uh, another couple of years for, for Odyssey. And we don't know about the other study. So I, I guess 2025. I see. And I just like to, when I moderate these podcasts, um, 
because we always want to relate it back to your patient experience and your experience within practice. And for those patients that you've uh, prescribed Camzios, what difference have, have you seen it make to their lives? So the difference is very similar to those that we have witnessed with surgery. So if you, if a patient, typically these patients with obstructive disease, with obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, have dyspnea or angina on effort, which is uh, exacerbated, exacerbated by situations such as heat, dehydration after meals, alcohol intake. Typically, they have trouble eating a, a meal in the evening, for example. They have to stay very light and their social life is affected. They have trouble um, climbing stairs, consistently trouble walking in up in, in uphill. And um, they they may not be symptomatic at rest or, or in minimal activities. But don't forget, we're talking about patients whose mean age is probably late 40s to 50s. So very active professionally, they want to do sports. And that is often absolutely impossible. Sometimes even again, playing with the children becomes a problem uh, because of their so short of breath. Uh, they have good days and bad days. Uh, during After a successful surgical intervention, this disappears. So most of these patients become totally asymptomatic. They may develop other problems. They may have, again, long-term progression of disease, but at least in, the, in, in several years after the, the surgery, they, they feel absolutely great. And this is exactly what we have witnessed with the, with the drug. So we have seen patients resuming activities, normal activities, vigorous activities that they would not have dreamed of, they would not dream to do before before the uh, before taking comes eyes um the the other important issue is that we are also witnessing changes in the structure of the heart which uh as, as of now are still preliminary but these hearts seem to remodel in a positive way the cavity of these hearts becomes larger um, whereas in in hms typically too small and hypercontractile uh, the the heart seems to thin out uh, significantly so maybe the hypertrophy seems to improve which is exactly what happens in the animal studies and the left atrium sort of reduces its size so a number of modifications that seem to um, sort of predict better outcomes although we don't we don't have that data uh, this is also supported by the fact that biomarkers such as anti-proBNP and troponin are consistently reduced often to very normal, semi-normal, quasi-normal levels by, by the drug. So there's a whole set of things, the positive things that are happening in the heart of these patients, which go beyond simple symptom relief. Just wonderful to hear. I was wanted to ask, uh, Professor, if you have any particular patient case studies that you can discuss and tell us about. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the stories is that one of the patients who, uh, in Explorer, was on... on uh, on the placebo arm. Of course, we didn't know at the time, we knew only afterwards that he was on placebo. And he he, he said he felt so much better because his placebo effect was so large. But of course, his gradient was still up and he was sort of sort of telling himself he saw it was so much better, but this was not the case. So after the washout and the end of the study, he was enrolled in long-term extension and he, he got this, the drug open label and there he really felt the difference. So. Um, he really understood how much he had deluded himself and sort of happily resumed his favorite sports, which, which is, um, cycling. Um, and, and, you know, he, he sort of, every time he comes over, he hugs all the doctors and the nurses and, 
it's hard to to convey sort of the the sense of a renewal that that he sort of uh. transmits whenever he, he comes over. So he's still not over the um, the enthusiastic side of the things. You know, I still can't quite relate to how things have changed for him. So that's really quite quite impressive. That's that's lovely. And we spoke to uh, Professor Antonis Pantazis on uh, the subject, and. Um, it, just in relation to what you say about the difference that has in patients' lives, this wasn't about Kamsias, this was um, about sort of the, the benefits before and after um, surgery. But he says, because these patients are so used to this burden, they they kind of adapt and it's their normal, you know, not, not being able to play with their children, climb up the stairs. It's just, it becomes something that they just live with and get on with and accept. And then when you do have an intervention, which is so successful, this, this new lease of life that it gives the patients, it's just something so profound and it must be, uh, it must be beautiful to witness uh, from, from your side. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 big, the great advantage here is that uh, this is a disease of the heart where the heart has a very good function. So, of course, it, it, this is why it's amenable to such treatment. So it, it's once you, you know your heart function is fine and you remove a, a sort of a, a, an anatomical or functional obstacle to flow, you, you can't expect these sort of results. This, of course, it, this is why it's so much more gratifying than treated, treating systolic dysfunction and, and classic heart failure models where you know, recovery of function is, is harder to achieve. Um, still, it's gratifying, particularly because these are, again, very young patients with no other sort of medical issues often and, and therefore able to resume completely normal life. Mm. Are there any uh, resources that you'd recommend um, for your fellow cardiologists and physicians that want to learn more about CAMSIOS? Uh, well, there are a number of uh, webinars. There are a number of very nice, good papers, good review articles that have come out uh, very recently uh, in the literature. Um, so for colleagues, of course, the sort of scientific sources are always the best. I would recommend that uh, everyone gets familiar with the um, prescribing information that are contained and are available on the, on the website. Of course, there are caveats that people need to know, that physicians need to know. Um, the drug needs to be used very cautiously in a very um, precise sort of set of patients. The diagnosis has to be adamant. There must be, it cannot be used in, in fiber disease. It can be used in any, any, any different any disease that is not classic HCM. It has to be monitored very carefully for function. There's a uh, risk mitigation plan in the U.S. that is active to protect patients from untoward effects because, again, we still don't know whether there may be patients who are particularly susceptible super responders who may drop their ejection fraction too much and therefore have problems with the drug. And so we still are in the phase where we need to keep a very, very uh, close watch on every single patient that we want to start on the drug. And so the prescribing information sort of um, website is, is quite useful just to get a, an idea of what the, this, the program is whenever you want to start a patient on the drug. There will be a similar sort of pro program in, in the European Union uh, just because, again, at, at this point, uh, patient protection and, and first do no harms is the uh, most important consideration. Having said that, um, again, my personal experience, the drug has been safe and, and, and relatively easy to handle, even when patients do drop their ejection fraction, wash them out and come back on a lower dose and generally does, that, that does the trick very, very well. There are then other resources for patients specifically. Um, 
there are um, webcasts and, and uh, patient association websites that provide information regarding the drug, for example, the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association um, in America and Cardiomyopathies UK in the UK providing information to patients. So I would recommend that uh, the patient patients actually go to those kind of resources for and there's also on the Kamzaios website, of course, there's a patient information page. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover before I um before I wrap up? Yes, I think I think one important consideration is is cost. So the drug Kamzaios is expensive, and of course, it's bound to be expensive because the the expenses that have been uh, incurred by the industry to develop the drug are enormous, as always is the case. However, this of course uh, raises some considerations regarding economic sustainability. We know that in the European Union, uh, the cost will be sensibly less than in the United States. But of course, depending on the country, depending on the system, depending on the wealth of uh, individual sort of settings, this will, to some extent, limit the the, the possibility for patients to access. So the, the drug, and, and this is an increasingly common problem with precision medicine sort of molecules, such as, for example, those we've seen in oncology recently, or even, even in, in cardiology in other fields. So my hope is that there will be a common effort from the industry and the regulatory bodies and the um, NHS in various countries to, to make sure that patients have the drug available and they do get access to the drug because this is not a rare disease. This is a rather common condition and it would be really unfair to, to have patients left out from this incredible opportunity. So hopefully the future will bring sort of more affordable uh, options for Kamzaias uh, as well as the coming new drugs. Yeah, it seems to be a new dawn within this HCM space. And as you say, I hope uh, we all hope that accessibility is uh, something that every patient who needs and could benefit from this drug can access it in the future. Well, fantastic. I think that will do for today. Professor um, Jacopo Olivoto, thank you so much for your time. It's It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. And I'm sure a fellow cardiologist, uh, physicians will, will take a lot from this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And that concludes today's discussion. Thank you to Professor Jacopo Olivoto for joining us today and sharing his insights around obstructive HCM and myosin inhibitors with our audience. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do not forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We release a new episode every Friday, as well as plenty of bonus episodes like this one. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.